Today on the Talent Cast, we kick off 2018 with a bang by envisioning a world in which we are not beholden to the ATS. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand and talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at the War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Uh, housekeeping, uh, yeah, I'm going to be at social recruiting conferences, social recruiting strategies conference at the end of the month in San Francisco. You should absolutely come see me and uh, 20 other amazing people. Um, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm actually doing a session and I'm doing a panel, so uh, I'm actually also going to try and record this live, podcast live, in the event. We'll see how it goes. I have no idea how to do that. Uh, I've never traveled with a microphone, so we'll see how it goes. Otherwise, uh, <laughs> so... If I had to survey all of you, I would guess that the thing you complain about the most, aside from hiring managers who aren't responsive, aside from candidates who string you along, aside from a marketing team who doesn't, uh, who pretends that you don't exist until they need you to hire somebody, your biggest complaint is your ATS. And there's good reason for that. Let's be fair. There's no such thing as an ATS that's good. Even the ATSs that are rated very well um, aren't actually good. They're better than getting you know an, a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. It's better than getting uh, smack in your head in uh, on top of the cabinet when you're reaching under for something. It's better than you know some unpleasant things. It's not great. ATSs are not good. <clears throat> they're not. They're not supportive. And there's a reason for that, right? There's ATSs are really designed around HR, and HR, as we know, love nothing more than to create and apply rules. Now, how do you create a rule, right? Let's pretend you are the emperor of the universe, and by the way, that's what I've always wanted to be since I was 10, emperor of the universe, so I have a lot of experience in this space. If you were emperor of the universe and you were applying and making rules up right now, what do you do? Well, you start by saying, what do I not like? And you make rules that keep that from happening. You don't start with a clean sheet of paper that says everybody needs to vote every four years. You don't start with a clean sheet of paper that says, um, here's, here's a rule. You know, everybody is allowed to take Sundays off. There's, you don't start with that unless you see a problem. Why would you create a rule unless there's a problem it's trying to fix? Which is kind of why things like the Magna Carta and uh, the U.S. Constitution are kind of cool documents because they say, look, we're not – effectively making rules and laws here, we're making values. We're saying we really believe that people are inherently allowed to exist and they have fundamental rights and here are a couple of those rights and we will amend them later. Uh, the king or the sovereign or the president or whatever you call it is here to support those rights but without the people supporting them, that person doesn't really exist. They are not gods walking among the earth. But they're not rules. And so when you're thinking about rules, and HR loves to think about rules, what they're doing is they look at what happened in the past, and they say, ah, oh, what are we going to fix? 
And then, because they're not stupid people by any stretch, and as much as I like to make fun of HR people, lovingly, uh, they're not dumb. They're really not. Uh, they make me sometimes make me crazy, uh, but they're not dumb. And there's reasons why they do what they do. In the same way that lawyers make me crazy, there's reasons why they exist, and they're valid reasons, and they're smart people. The HR people are smart, and they say, well, if we have to make a rule, rather than having to enforce it individually, rather than having to make a, a police department, so to speak, that enforces these rules and clamps down on people who break these rules and put them in some sort of weird HR jail, and by the way, that's a terrifying thought, um, instead of that, let's make systems that enforce the rules, that make the rules happen naturally. So for example, if you have a rule that says you have to have a diverse slate of candidates to bring to the hiring manager, you can actually bake those rules into the ATS such that if you're managing your candidates, you can even say, make rules that say, look, unless you've got somebody here that's quote unquote diverse, and I know that's a loaded term, we can't bring this to the hiring manager. You can say if a rule is that we want to make sure that we have uh, completely non-biased evaluations, we will strip out names and photos and anything like that. We can do that in the at the ATS level. We can make a rule and have a system, the ATS, that applies those rules, that make it so that you can't avoid doing it, right? If the rule is you need to have a vice president of whatever sign off on a new rec, the ATS can build in a rule that says you cannot push this job live until the VP has signed off on it, right? That's system thinking, right? You're saying, or that's machine thinking. You have a rule, rather than police it every single time, make a system that won't let you move forward until you fix that rule, until you apply that rule. And in that way, ATSs are fantastic. But ATSs are very much, because they're rule-based, and because rules are based on the past, they're not very future-facing, right? ATSs, no candidate has ever said, man, that was a I had a great time putting my information into that ATS. No one has ever said that. An ATS is a hurdle. It is an obstacle. It is the thing you must overcome when applying for a job. It is a, it is a, 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 a necessary evil that every candidate knows they have to go through for the most part. There's a certain level at which you raise to a level of ability and skill um, and awareness that people Look, when you're hiring your next CEO, they do not apply in, in the ATS. That, <laughs> that's not how that works, right? You know people. You hire headhunters. You hire uh, executive uh, companies to find the CEO and to vet them and to bring you two or three amazing candidates, and you pick. The ATS has nothing to do with it, which is complicated when you do hire that vice president or C-suite person or CEO or whatever, and you do have to hire them. You have to usually backfill the ATS to say, okay, here's the information we collected once we decided to hire this person which should be a sign that the rules don't work. But beyond that, mostly candidates are expecting to have to go through the ATS. They don't want to. They know they have to. No one wants to pay taxes. They just know they kind of have to. And we do what we can to make it as non-onerous as possible, but at no point do we go, woohoo, that was fun. No one goes, woohoo, that tax offer was amazing. They don't. They don't, right? They may say that about video games. They may say that about movies. They may say that about things like Slack and other software, WordPress. It's amazing what it can do, even some of those onerous tasks. But for us, for ATS world, it's never positive. It's always your best case scenario is it didn't make me want to you know, push my head through a wall, right? That is a best case application candidate experience scenario through the ATS because it says there are rules and we have to apply it. And beyond those rules, 
that ATS fosters a kind of thought process that is about to be extinct, or at least should be, from the standpoint of great candidates and great companies who know how to attract candidates. So for example, right now, you are looking for a role. Let's say you're looking for a content marketing role, and they must have two years experience of Facebook and two years experience on Twitter and a year experience building Facebook ads and targeting ads and they know how to write and they know how to do da-da-da-da-da-da. That's content marketing, right? That's a standard content marketing job. In fact, you could probably go to one of those websites or books and say, can I see the standard job description for a content marketer? They hand you the job description. You make edits for about 10 15% of it and that's the job. Great. What is a content marketer going to do next year? Are they going to do Facebook? Are they going to do Facebook ads? Are they going to write blog posts? Hmm. What's the likelihood that they'll spend more time next year doing video? Pretty high. Pretty high. And, and, and I'm a guy who isn't a big fan of video because it's complicated and cost-effective, or co uh, not very cost-effective sometimes unless you do it the right way. And it's cumbersome and it's hard to edit. It's not part of my run-and-gun model of doing things, but video, you can't deny it is valuable and it's going to be a bigger and bigger thing as we go along, right? No getting around that. Video's a thing. So as a person who's managing a content marketing team, you can say, I'm going to hire a writer today and at some point, I'm going to need a video person. And when that happens, what happens? Think of that, that process. You have a demand for video. Your clients want video. Your teams want video. No one internally knows how to do video. They know how to write. They don't know how to make video. Maybe they get lucky and they get to hire an intern who can show them how to do video. But that still has a cost to it, right? Interns aren't free, or at least they should not be free. Do not ask for free interns. That's just mean. You still have to pay uh, 10, 12, 15 bucks an hour for that intern for the summer, for that semester, however long. And that's not free. That's, that's, that's $10,000, $15,000 for a year. You have to make an investment. Or you decide you're going to pay an agency or a company to make videos for you. And since they're not completely well aligned to your brand and they don't know who you are all that well, if they're okay and they're pretty all right and they're polished, but they're not really you and authentic. But those are even more expensive. Those are ten, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollar videos, right? Those are expensive. Which means if the costs are that high, you have to justify it so hard before you can ask for that money. It's, it's expensive. And consequently, because the justification process is so hard, because the bar is set so high, because you're going to have to need ten dollars and $20,000 just to try video, you ignore it until you absolutely can't ignore it. You put yourself in a position where you're like, yeah, I don't really need video this year. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You really do. You should invest in video. Um, and I have no, <laughs> I have video friends, but I'm, and I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat where this is the year I'm going to be investing more in video. So I get that. And this is just an example. So what would happen instead if you said, instead of hiring a quote unquote content marketer with X number of years of Facebook and X number of years of Facebook ads and X number of years of writing experience, you said someone who is curious and ambitious and driven and a fast learner and willing to test and try new things someone who is a self-starter, someone who doesn't need a lot of management oversight, willing to try new mediums. Does that sound like a content marketer? Yes. But does it sound like your job description for a content marketer? No. Probably doesn't sound like a job description for anything you have, which is unfortunate. 
Because this is the year you need someone who knows how to write, who is willing to spend 10, 20, 30% of their time for the next couple weeks figuring out video. They've got the supercomputer in their pocket. They've got the camera. They've got a, I just got a, for Christmas, we got the iPhone 8. Uh, the camera is glorious. <laughs> Um, there's no reason anybody with a modern phone doesn't do video, right? It's not like it's hard to capture. You don't need a $1,000, separate $1,000 line item to buy a camera. You have to buy a $20 tripod maybe, if that. Um, and maybe you can talk about a microphone. But really, you have the materials with you. What you need is someone willing to try new things. And if you hired person X because they're a good writer, they know Facebook, that doesn't mean they know and are willing to try new things with video. They're just not. They're, des they're optimized around writing. And that's what job descriptions do. They optimize you to think around what was and what is, not what will be. Now, an amazing HR business partner will push you in that direction to say you also have to think about what is this job going to look like in 6, 12 months. But that's not standard. That's not part of the average everyday experience with an HR person. Like I said, that's what an excellent HR business partner does. And I've met them, and they're fantastic at that. But it's not pretty standard for the course. And so consequently, you are filling slots for things you need or needed last week. You had a need. You had a pain point last week. You need to fill it today. Will you need it next month? You assume so. But now you've invested in this person. Now you've invested in this need for writers and Facebook ad people. Guess what you're going to do next year? Writing and Facebook because you've invested in it. You don't invest in the sunk cost and say, oh, I'm not gonna use it. Of course not, that's, that's crazy. Because it's expensive to fire them and it's expensive to change them. And it's expensive to quote unquote, train them. You're gonna have to send, you spend five grand sending off to classes learning how to use movies or make videos. Or you get someone who was kind of kicking videos around in the back of their head or testing it at home in their spare time. And you give them Mac and it has iMovie in it or have whatever PCs have these days and you say, look, it's free software. You're not going to be Martin Scorsese and that's fine. You're Quentin Tarantino's, you're uh, Ava Verona, whatever. You know, you're not going to be Hollywood quality, but you're going to say something and make something and build some content for us. That's forward-facing. And your ATS isn't designed for that. Your ATS is designed to say, look, we have a series of rules based on skills, not values, skills that we can evaluate so we can measure and so we can say this person is worth talking to and this person is not worth talking to. These are the basic requirements. Must have a college education. Must have two years experience in X, Y, and Z. Then you're allowed to talk to them. It's how they avoid any question of bias, right? If you set some expectations in these very quantitative ways, I literally just went quantitative, quantitative, yes, quantitative, quantitative is the right word. You can avoid the question of, I chose this person not because they were a white man, but because they had the experience I wanted. The fact that they were a white man or a black woman or a brown man or whatever, that's immaterial, right? You want to be able to say that you did this without bias. And so consequently, you focus on the quantitative stuff. But skills is the, are different from traits, from attributes, the ability to learn fast, interest in learning fast. You know, you right now, you have, if you have a staff of more than two, one of those people will do exactly what you say, and one of those people knocks on your door every, every once in a while and says, can you buy me a book? Can you send me to a class? Can I learn how to do this? How do I figure out this? Can you, you have those people. And it's an accident, right? You, you got lucky. You got a person who wants to push the envelope. 
even if they're opening mail, even if they're working at a DMV, even if they're whatever, even if they're doing the most rote, folding sweaters, it doesn't matter. If they're curious and interested, you're thrilled because you can invest in that person and grow them over time and you get to keep them for longer, right? How did you get that person? You got lucky. Your ATS didn't support that. Your ATS didn't move towards that. Your ATS is not designed around that. Your ATS never, ever, ever thinks about that stuff. And frankly, I'm going to guess, I'm going to go on a limb here and say, when you evaluate your ATS, do you ask those questions? I'm going to guess nine times out of 10, the answer is no. Your job when you think about an ATS is how do I optimize the process I have to live with right now? And that's wrong. You need to start with a clean sheet of paper and say, what do I really want? What does the future hold? How am I going to find talent? How will people want to be attracted and engaged in a year, in five years? Because ATSs are like glacial, right? Not only do they change in, a, in an insanely slow process, it can take up to two years to switch one out. So if you buy a new one today and it takes you a year or two to make the switch, what's the world look like in two years? Do you even have a sense of that? Or are you buying something in two years that effectively is 10% better than what and how you do things today? And that's sad. That's not how you grow. That's not how you maximize. That's not how you expand. That's how you polish the deck chairs in the Titanic or to polish the brass in the Titanic. If the whole world's going away and this model of things is going away, and I think we can make a case that it is, your tools have to change too. Now, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I, I had a festivist complaint in which I said people who talk about how this magical future and we're just going to jump to it without coming across saying how do we make that happen what are the steps the interim steps that allow us to move to this magical future they make me crazy so i don't want to be that person i don't want to say hey let's all press the magical button in which we destroy our ats and you can literally hear hr screaming in the background um it's not the wind it's the howls of hr <laughs> there's a there's your next hbo hit game of thrones but for hr right? Games of job descriptions, games of, of job titles. That's it. Ooh. Oh, someone's going to make a million off that. Uh, someone's going to write really ponderous novels slowly on based on that. Um, sorry, George R.R. Martin. Um, your, your ATS can't just go away. There are reasons for it to exist. HR has built itself around this model of saying, look, what do we do with this applicant tracking? Says, How do we manage the process of applicants? And that's fine. The problem, I think, and this is going to be a bit of a longer podcast because this is a big idea. The problem with ATSs really is not that they're ATSs. They just stopped being ATSs and tried to be something more than an ATS. ATS stands for Applicant Tracking System, meaning they're there to help track your applicants. They're not there to engage your applicants. They're not there to create prospects or to attract people who might be interested in becoming an applicant. They're not there to make applicants. They're there to track it. But of course, how do you track an applicant if they don't enter their information? So you guess you have to have an applicant entering information process, which is that hour-long ponderous, I have to retype my resume in your stupid form, and I wanted to reach through the computer and pop you in the nose uh, process, which nobody likes. Well, if you're going to do that, if you're going to collect the information, they're going to have to spend an hour doing that. How do you connect that to the process where you're marketing to those people, where you're communicating to those people, where you're giving them a reason to say it? Suddenly, your applicant tracking system is really your recruitment marketing system. It's your entire ecology, which is wrong because it was never designed to do that. 
It's optimized about to HR's model of rules and process and checking the dots and, and, and dotting the I's and crossing the T's and making sure everything happened the right way. That you can establish rules that say a vice president has to sign off on these kinds of roles and they, if they don't, they don't go live. That kind of thinking. You know, stuff candidates don't give a rat's ass about. Right? So it's not so much that I want to envision a world without ATSs. I want to imagine a world in which ATSs actually are only there to track applicants, are only there for the HR team who need them, that a candidate never, ever, 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 ever sees it. Because why on earth would they? They hate it. It's a burden. It's onerous. They loathe having to go through it as a necessary evil. All wonderful ideas, right? All things that make you want to say, yeah, I'm going to apply. Of course not. Candidates should never see your application, applicant tracking system in the same way that they should never see how the sausage gets made. For them, they should feel like they raised their hand. Maybe they sent you a resume. I'm not envisioning a world without resumes. I'm not, you know, it's not science fiction yet, kids. Um, they send you a resume and maybe a cover letter. You become interested in them and you talk to them. And then you say, based on this conversation, I really think you should meet the hiring manager and a couple of other people. Can you come in next week? By the way, wear some nice clothes. By the way, bring a couple copies of your resume. Or don't, because frankly, really? <laughs> you just email that around, right? Um, and you have a conversation. At the end of that conversation, the hiring manager says, yeah, I definitely want this person as part of my team. Or no, this person is not going to be a good fit. That's the process. At what point did the candidate ever have to see the ATS? Never. But there's a gap now. If their ATS is never seen by the candidate, how does the candidate know to apply for that job? How do they know that job even existed? How do they learn enough about your company to say, I want to engage? And that's where CRM thinking, customer relationship, uh, uh, M, I just blanked on the M, Sierra. It's, it's model, no, it's not model. You know, customer relationship marketing right? Or management, depending on how you're used, whether it's a tool or a process, right? You want to treat them like customers. At no point, if you own a grocery store and the, and somebody comes up to buy a pound of bananas and Cheerios, it's going to be a very nice breakfast in the 70s, um, you don't force them to type in the number of the SKU. Even if you make them do self-checkout, self you just scan the barcode across the thing and they press the thing. And everybody knows when you go to do a self-checkout, the, the part that sucks the most is when you have to say, oh, I'm buying booze. Or, oh, it's, it's, I can't find the code for bananas, for this particular kind of banana. Or you need involvement from an employee. If it's self-checkout, it's not self-checkout unless I ha can do it all by myself. And it's easy and obvious. I go beep, 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 scan your card, put it in a bag, away you go. The second someone has to come in and step in and help you out, it's no longer self-service. And that effectively is the role of the ATS. It's the part where HR steps in and says, okay, no, 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 no. Let me help you out with this, this system that you don't understand and that, frankly, you have no reason to understand and you shouldn't care about because all you want is your damn bananas and your damn Cheerios so you can go get some breakfast. Right? What? You, candidates don't care about this stuff. They don't care about Workday versus Taleo versus iSims versus Greenhouse versus whoever the hell. They don't care. They don't care. I do know candidates who, when they see certain ATSs, will definitely have a deeper sigh of pain and frustration deeper than other ATSs. I'm not going to name names, but they go, ugh, it's this one? Oh, man, I guess I'll do this. And man, doesn't that sound like a fun way to start a relationship? Yeah. Everyone wants to start a date by saying, I guess I will go get sushi. Ugh. Right? No one 
no one is having a good time at that date. <laughs> so if your applicant tracking system focused on applicants, how do you get applicants in? And again, that's what CRM is all about. You treat your candidates like customers. How do you make this easy for them? How do you engage them? How do you push them information they want? How do you connect them to your brand? And not by saying, here's my logo, here's my logo, here's my logo, here's an open job, here's an open job, here's an open job, here's an open job, here's an open spam, 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 spam. It's not about that. It's about saying, oh, you're a database administrator? Did you know that we're the world's largest company about blah, 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 about database administrators? And that in the past, our database administrators have gone on to become director of CTOs and CIOs and directors of this and other companies and in this company that we really do value DBAs, that we understand database analysts more than anybody else, that we really value them? No, you didn't know that? Well, you do now. Oh, oh, did, did, did I forget to mention that we have database openings right now? If you're interested, here's the link. Otherwise, we'll just every once in a while send you some news we made about database analysts that you would care about, that makes your life easier, that makes your life better. Isn't that magical? Isn't that fucking magical? Isn't that exactly the candidate experience you would want as a candidate? That you're not being pitched, that you're not being sold, that you're not being spammed, that you're not being pushed, that you're being connected with that maybe you might even be building a what's the word relationship with isn't that amazing isn't that what we should be doing okay great fantastic we've all we've all embraced this idea that we're going to push content out to tell people about what we're doing that matters to them the dba may not care about what you're doing in a big data science model or they might or they don't care about your uh, sales team training process not relevant to them so you don't send them that. You send them stuff that they care about, right? When Amazon sends me products I might like, they send me products I actually might like. <laughs> they do a pretty good job. They know enough about me by now to know that, yes, I do want to know about headphones and Oxford shirts and uh, toys for my kid. But I'm not as interested in car parts because I don't own a car. And I'm not as inter interested in warm weather clothing because I live in Chicago. And I'm not as interested in, you know, I can't think of it. I'm doing this off the top of my head, right? They know who I am. They don't spam me with crap that even if it might be a better margin for them, they go, it's not about what Amazon cares about. It's what the customer cares about. And the more the customer thinks that Amazon cares about them, the more the customer will buy from them. And so while it might be harder for you to live in a world where you're building content that a DBA might actually care about instead of what a generic human being might care about, which is easier because it reaches a wider market, but isn't effective because it's not connected to who that person is, that's harder for you. But that's your job. That's what you have to care about. That's the stuff that you should be focused on. It's not about how do I get 100,000 people to see my logo every day when I send them an email. It's about how do I get three amazing, in this case, DBAs to go, man, this company really gets it. I want to be a part of this company. That's your job. Okay, so how do we make that process easier? If we're not just going to randomly go, hey, it's a magical world. We have all, ma all the magical content we want. We can just spit it out to people. How do you do that? How do you get to that model? There's a lot of companies really embracing that. I'm not going to name names because this isn't a pitchy place. But I, what I'm starting to see is the industry is changing. They're realizing that forcing people to go through the hoops of an ATS is no way to start a relationship. You wouldn't do it if you were selling something. You wouldn't say, oh, you'd like a taco? Can you please fill out this form? 
course not. You want a taco? How many tacos? Great. I'm going to make a taco. Here's your taco. Can I have your credit card? Thanks. Bye. Simple as that. That's all we want in a taco, right? It's all we want in uh, makeup. It's all we want in business cards. It's all we want in coffee. It's all we want. Just, here's what I want. Here's my money. Thanks. And if by doing this enough times you learn that I prefer light, light and medium roast coffee over dark roast coffee or espresso coffee, great. Send me deals about light and medium roast coffee because I don't care about espresso and I really don't care about tea. For those of you who drink, drink tea, I don't understand you. Um, whatever. Still love you. <laughs> That's the deal. So if you're going to embrace this model, the next question is how in the world do I create good content? How in the world can I make sure I'm creating good content that connects to those people? And then how do I, if, hell, if I'm doing that, how do I bake it into a system that knows that as I create content for DBAs and I have a database of people interested in DBA type stuff, it automatically automates, yes, that's a phrase, the process of once I create it, I'm going to push it out to them so that they know. So that even if I'm only creating good DBA content every quarter, when I make it, I don't have to remember, oh, I should send this to these people who said they cared about this thing. No, it's, they're going to automate the process. So you have like a, like a bloggy front end that says, hey, you're a DBA who works for me. Can you answer four or five questions about why you love working for this company or what you've seen about this company that's different from other companies or what just news? Hell, have your DBA expert talk about DBAs in the news and how in the world did I get stuck on DBAs? <laughs> I, I hate when I, I start to wander these paths and I start to, I'm going to use this as an example and now I'm stuck with this example. Go ask your sales trainers to talk about sales news, to talk about new techniques, to talk about new um, articles that they're seeing in LinkedIn and Business Insider and wherever the hell you get sales news. Um, have your Ruby on Rails developers talk about the latest open source or Ruby on Rails stuff. Have your marketers talk about their favorite commercials. Whatever it is, you want to have a process that elicits content from the subject matter experts because coming from you, no one will believe it because you're not a subject matter expert. No one will believe me if I tried to talk about Ruby on Rails, obviously, and open source code, obviously, or databases. They might listen to me when it comes to marketing or favorite commercials. They I hope they would listen to me when it comes to recruiting and recruitment marketing employer brand because that's what I think I'm good at. That's where I think I do have expertise. But you want to tell me, you want me to tell you what how the, the best sales techniques are? No, I have zero authority there. <laughs> but there are salespeople at my company who have amazing authority at that and real world examples and have lived and breathed this idea for years and years and years. And other salespeople will be like, yes, I want to learn all about that. That is interesting to me. So you need to get the people doing the job to write the content in a way that it's not like, hey, do you mind spending four hours with in front of a blank piece of paper trying to write an 800-word blog post about this thing? That's, that's, you just shift the onerousness from candidate to employee. I don't think that's better. But you can find ways of saying, look, can you answer these six questions? Or can you give me one example of something amazing and ask five people in the same team to give different in, uh, examples, collect them, and turn that into an article? Easy peasy. Go talk to the content marketing people. They know how to, they know all these tricks. They know all that stuff and how to collect content easily, how to leverage content, how to reuse content over and over and over and over and over and over again in a way that doesn't feel like repurposing and regifting. Right? I got to take a sip of coffee. Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second, just to remind you that because 
because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy. There's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who've done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. Long-time listeners are going, oh, God. He's 30 minutes in. He's just now taking a sip of coffee. This is going to be a long one. Don't worry. I'm not too far off my done, my, my point. And yeah, I'm still making my point. <laughs> Happy New Year, folks. Um, so if you can get the subject matter experts to collect content in a model that is simple and straightforward, and you can tag it by saying this is open source development content, this is big data content, this is data science content, this is DBA content, this is sales content, and this is marketing content, and people who you can spend your recruitment marketing money saying, hey, we talk about these subjects all the time. Sign up. Just give us your email address. We don't want, I just knocked my fingers against the desk. We don't want your life story. We don't need every job you've ever had. We do not need references at this stage. We don't want to know how much you made. We don't care. We want you to fall in love with us. And how do we do that? We do it by showing you we care about you, right? Isn't that the best way to get someone to fall in love with your brand is by having you show how much you care about them first? You're doing it unilaterally. You're doing it in a way that says, look, I'm not here just to get the sale. I'm not here to get your resume. I'm here to do it because we're creating this content and we want everyone to be smarter about this stuff. And if you see value in that, maybe this is the kind of place we want to be because that's the kind of people we want to hire. So you build the content. You collect the database of people who are interested in that content. You make sure when you push the content out, it has a tiny little call to action that says, hey, if this is the kind of place where this sounds like the kind of place where you could work, do you know we have openings in these things? Push that out. They see the job description. They see what the job is like. They know what the company is all about. The, the information they've read about the company has informed them on what the brand is really all about so that when they see the kind of HRE job description, they can kind of read between the lines, and they're interested. Now, at this point, you could simply say, and enjoy the rest of your journey through the ATS, and we try to avoid that. What if they could just say, I'm really interested in talking to these people. I'm really interested in talking more about this. By the way, here's my resume. Then your recruiter can skim the resume, see in about 10 seconds, this person has no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> They are applying for a Ruby on Rails position. They've sold rubies. Nope, not quite the same. Uh, and frankly, since you're not pushing a job description, there's not a lot of bots trying to figure out how to match terms and spam your ATSs because you've removed the ATS. You simply said, just send me a resume and the job you'd like to talk about. Suddenly you've cut down on the crappy applicants because they're not, remember, all the bots and all the crappy applicants are optimized around the standard best practice of having to figure out how to scrape a job off a job board and apply for it automatically. And if you don't do that, you don't get those crappy applicants. 
So instead of getting 300 applicants per job, maybe you get 50. But these are people who have been reading your content and actually know who the hell you are and what you're about. These are 50 much better resumes than the 300 crap resumes. You're more likely to find two or three or five amazing candidates than through the old model. You skim the resume, you say, this is interesting, you set up a phoner, and away you go. And if you set up the phoner and you pass it along to the hiring manager, and the hiring manager has a conversation, they like that candidate, and they decide it's time to hire them, that's when they meet the ATS, or that's when you parse that resume into the ATS. Again, don't make the candidate go touch your ATS. This isn't magic. This isn't a, le a science fiction leap to a world in which we all have flying cars. This is a very achievable thing, and I know it is because I've seen it. It's happening right now. And the companies who invest in this model, who are willing to let go of their ATS as a front-facing candidate-facing tool and say, look, we still need an ATS for HR purposes, and it's a, they're completely valid purposes, but candidates do not want to see it. You can move to this model. I'm going to say the word quickly, and I'm going to mean relatively quickly. I mean, it's, it takes time to move to this model. But your step one is to say, instead of saying everybody has to go through the ATS, start by building content at the same time. You can do that in parallel. You can build a lot of content. Frankly, you should already be building content. If you don't know that, that's a whole other podcast. I will make another podcast about why content is incredibly powerful. So you can build content in parallel and start to take certain roles instead of pushing that job description out and pushing it to every job board. Say, look, we have people who are interested in these roles. Let's talk to them first. Heck, involve internal candidates in this process. Everybody knows that employee referrals and internal candidates are your best candidates. Involve them. Where do you think referrals come from? They don't come from, hey, here's a job. It's a, hey, this is what my company's doing. That's how you make referrals happen. And if you've got a database, a CRM, that helps you manage and say, where did this candidate come from first? Even if it took them two years to go from, I decided to raise my hand and I wanna, I'm want to, i interested in your company, to actually hiring them. If it takes two whole years, you still know that two years ago it was because employee number 1131 sent them to you. And if 1131 still works for you, they get the little employee bonus, the, the, the referral bonus, which is great. That's the world that ATS is. Because it's not truly a world without ATSs. ATSs are effectively necessary, especially in companies of any kind of size. But a candidate should never, ever, 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 ever see them. There's no purpose. Forcing them to see your ATS is lazy thinking. It's saying, well, I guess everybody else is doing it, so I guess I can too. I can get away with it because everybody else does too. Well, I'm here to tell you, 2018 is the year that companies stop. Their excuses stop. That you can't say everybody does it that way with the ATS because everybody's going to stop doing it. Everything's starting to change. Google job, Google for Jobs or whatever it is, um, Indeed changes, Glassdoor changes, software changes, ATS changes. This, the whole Etch-A-Sketch is getting tilted and shaken now. This is the year it happens. It's going to be slow. It's going to take time. But now is the time to start thinking about this. It's time for you to start envisioning a world in which your candidates never see an ATS. What does that mean? How do you get there? How do you build for that? How do you optimize that? Because that is a game you absolutely want to compete in. 
Writing better job descriptions and optimizing them is a great way to optimize in an old model that may not exist anymore. Your job is to get your company to a world in which your candidates never seen ATS. All right. Episode 60 in the can. Thanks so much for listening. As always, uh, you know, drop a review. Always. Uh, I'll see you next week. Otherwise, uh, find me on Twitter at The War for Talent or the website or all those other places. You know how to find me. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I'm, I'm stunned by the, the growth of our podcast. I'm thrilled. Um, I won't give numbers because I don't want to be a jerk about it, but I, I'm stunned that people are engaging and, and starting to see this stuff and it's starting to spread. Thank you so much for listening and sharing. I appreciate it so much. Let's have a great 2018. If you have ideas for topics, send them to me. If you have questions, send them to me. You have challenges, send them to me. I want to help you. Let me know how I can help. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.